if you've been here a while, you know that if, you know, if Darwin's preaching, then I'll be leading the service, or if I'm preaching, he's leading the service. And um, at times when I lead the service, I'll go get home, and I'll uh, just ask Ada, like, hey, any feedback? You know, like, would I say makes sense? Um, what'd you think? And nine times out of ten, she'll just be like, man, I didn't hear a word you said, and now I know why. And so this is a shout-out to those with young kids, uh, trying to corral them in the pew and get them just like, I, yeah, I get it. It's tough. It is tough out there. Um, I'm thankful, though, that we give uh, a weekend for our women to get away, um, and I uh, wish we could do that more often, uh, but we can't. Um, but anyways, uh, it is good to be here with you all this morning, and thankful for Children's Church, our Kiwi <laughs> Church, yes. Okay, where are we? If you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Colossians. As Darwin said, uh, we're in a series on the Lord's Prayer, and last week we took the first half of Forgive Us Our Debts, and this this morning we're going to look at the second half as we forgive our debtors. And um, some people will say that uh, the, the way that that is really translated is that forgive others as you have been forgiven. Um, so it's kind of the, it's kind of goes both ways. But we're going to be be talking, or I'll, I'll be the sermon will consist of what it looks like, what it means to forgive others, and I'll use this Colossian passage as sort of a support for for that for us. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's word found in the book of Colossians. Chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we turn now to um, this particular part of the prayer that you call us to forgive others as we have been forgiven, would you help us to understand what that means? Would you give us your spirit to do so, that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not? Would you do this for your glory alone, we pray. Amen. Brian Chappell, in his book, Praying Backwards, summarizes really what I hope to talk about this morning in this particular quote. He says, our prayers for forgiveness not only confess the weakness in our nature, but also honor the grace in his. Both aspects of the petition for forgiveness reorient our life to God's will and cause us to reflect more of his character. That's really all I want us to take away from this morning is that what, what, what I want us to see is that because we have been shown God's mercy through his forgiveness, we can reflect his mercy as we forgive others. And my aim is that that would become a joy for us, that would become, uh, though we see that offering forgiveness 
may come at a cost, and often does and will, and could be painful, uh, the, the joy of reflecting the mercy of God to others through our forgiveness becomes the engine which moves us to do that. And so to get at that, I want us to see that we reflect the mercy of God when we forgive, when our forgiveness is costly, uh, when our forgiveness is constant, and when our forgiveness is consistent, as you see there in your bulletin. So let's take those in order. We reflect his mercy when forgiveness is costly. In many ways, this text is very simple. Uh, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus wants us to forgive others as God has forgiven us. And how has he forgiven us? As we just, we just sort of reflect on that. Well, he bore our sins and our transgressions upon himself. Right? The cross is not just a way to die. Right? It is the place of God-forsakenness, as we have said, where Jesus became our sins. And he experienced God's wrath as punishment and was forsaken by God so that forgiveness could be made possible for you and for me. How then has God forgiven us? Well, he put it on Jesus, and Jesus took it. In other words, in Jesus, we truly see the cost of forgiveness, and this is how God wants us to forgive others as well, by absorbing that cost, by taking it upon ourselves. Some of, some of you know, about two years ago, uh, my car was in an accident. Uh, I'm literally two cars behind this one at a stop sign, and I'm stopped on the street. I, I'm not doing anything. And the car in front of me starts rolling backwards. Not rolling, driving. The reverse lights are on. And before I can even get on the horn, his bumper is on top of my hood. The front of the car is you know, demolished, basically. And, well, that was the easy part, right? And, and maybe you've heard me talk about this, but the wreck really happened when you start dealing with the insurance companies and what they really want for you, which is, I love the word, they want to make you whole, and isn't that, isn't that sweet? Sounds good, doesn't it? But that, does that ever happen? It doesn't. So, um, you know, as, as you go through and, and you try to um, work with the insurance companies and try to, to come to some agreement, by the time we were done, I had about enough money to, to buy a really nice bicycle. Uh, we'll put it that way. <laughs> Instead of this, you know, before this, I had this paid-for car that ran great, probably had another 50,000, 75,000 miles on it. What do you mean, whole? Explain to me what that means. But of course, we all know what that means. What's the point here? If I'm going to offer forgiveness, if we're going to be people that offer forgiveness, then we have to be ready to absorb the cost. We have to be ready to absorb the cost. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness, according to the Bible, is actually not getting to a place where you were before the harm was done. I think it's really important that we start here. I'm not allowed to hold my forgiveness until I am made whole, would be another way to put that. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is a willingness to take the hit and absorb the cost yourself. Dan Doriani puts it this way, but when we forgive someone else, it shows that we understand what it costs God to forgive us. It shows that we savor God's mercy. Jesus knows that what sin has done to us and to his creation, things, things will, will happen to you, that there is no being made whole this side of glory. And I say that sensitively this morning. But Jesus also knows that too personally, doesn't he, right? If we go through the scriptures, we see that he was rejected, spit on, beat, and he was put on a, cl- a cross to slowly suffocate. And why? Why? 
Because that's what forgiveness is. It is absorbing the cost. And Jesus, you know, is Jesus going to be made whole one day in the sense that it will somehow undo his dying for you? And the answer is no, because dying, absorbing that cost of our sin is what he came to do because he came to forgive us. It's both the greatest act of injustice so that justice might be satisfied, if you want to put it that way. And in some ways, it will feel, when we begin to move into forgiveness, the forgiveness of others, it'll feel that way to us as we forgive. Like, this is just an injustice. I'm not whole. How could I offer this forgiveness? Forgiveness is always costly to the one forgiving. We don't forgive to be made whole. We forgive as our Father in heaven what forgave us by absorbing the cost. That's what real forgiveness is. All right, two quick points of application before we move on to the next point. This is why forgiveness, friends, is not an, an event. It's not a one-time thing that's just finished. Um, you know, where, you know, we can tend to think about Forgiveness is sort of this place where I, I, I found the courage or I got to the place where I was able to, to forgive this person. Or you've heard somebody say, you know, before, I was so hurt by that person, but I finally got to the point where I forgave them. Um, and, and it's wrong to think about it like that for many reasons. One of those reasons, though, is because forgiveness is a process. There are wounds that we are taking with us, friends, that are not going away until we are in glory. Dan Allender likens forgiveness in, in sort of in the way that, that we experience conversion as a Christian. You know, yeah, there might be a time where we said, I, I, I believe in Jesus, I want to follow Jesus. But would we say that our conversion, would we say that us being Christians is finished at that point? By no means. It's just getting started. And so in that, in that sense, forgiveness too is not just this event, it's not this one-time thing. Forgiveness is something that goes on, it is a process. Is a process. And as I said before, there are things that we, we will have to forgive others for, wounds of which will not heal the side of glory. The second thing that I want us to see, though, which is also just as common, I think, in our culture, is that forgiveness is not forgetting. So let's be clear about that. Forgiveness is not forgetting. While God uses the language of not remembering our sin often in, in Scripture, he uses it as a metaphor in Scripture. And it is clear that he isn't forgetting our sins in the sense that he doesn't remember them. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we will receive our reward based on the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The point being, God doesn't forgive our sin by forgetting our sin. How does God forgive our sin? By absorbing the cost. Taking it. For the Christian, forgiveness is not forgetting. There are some things that you will have to forgive that you should never forget. So what does it mean then to pray this prayer? It means that you are saying, and this is, this is, this is the sobering moment this morning, I will pay. When we pray, forgive us our sins as you, or forgive us our debts as we also will forgive our debtors, you are saying, you're making a vow that I will pay. I'll take the hit. Interesting enough, this is the only part of the prayer that you can't just pray. You actually have to go and do this one. 
And it's in the going and the doing, though, that we understand how much we are forgiven in Christ. It's where we understand what it means then as we pray, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, is that as Christians we are raising a hand to say, I will pay, I will absorb that cost as Jesus absorbed that cost for me. Now we will never absorb what he took for us on the cross, but we will suffer. And as we move towards forgiving others, we need to know that this will cost us something. One pastor puts it this way, forgiveness means that someone has to pay and Christians are willing to pay. We need to stop for a moment and recognize how incredibly alien that is to our culture today. No one is raising a hand for the sake of forgiveness, saying, I'm willing to pay, I'll take it. Which is why no one is forgiving and no one knows what forgiveness really looks like. And this is also why the world needs Christians. One's willing to raise the hand and say, I for, I'll forgive, I'll pay, I'll take it. When you think about your relationships, when you think about your friends, your siblings, your parents, your spouse, and you think about the forgiveness that you have had to show them, are you paying or are they? It's a great question for us as we move out of this first point. Because if it's not you, then the chances are it is not forgiveness. At least the type of forgiveness that God is calling us to show others as we pray this prayer. When we absorb the cost, we are then what? Reflecting the mercy of God to others. Forgive your debtors just as I have forgiven you. This is the first point. We reflect God's mercy when we forgive, especially when that forgiveness is costly to us. Second, we reflect his mercy when forgiveness is constant. Our forgiveness must be constant, or to put it another way, it must be unconditional. Meaning we are to forgive others without strings attached. It is to say that you have my forgiveness or that you are in possession of my forgiveness until I die and there is nothing that you can do that will change that. Several years ago, and I shared this story last summer with the men during our uh, Bible study in the summer, but several years ago, um, I verbally, verbally um, hurt, shamed a friend of mine publicly. Uh, this is, I'm the sinner in this situation. And I verbally, I verbally harmed him. And a month or so after that, he confronted me about it. And we sat there and we talked about it. And of course, he was upset about it. And I, I listened to him. And I, and, I, and I asked for his forgiveness. And I certainly apologized. Um, but I'm going to be honest with you. My heart was pretty hard at that point in time about this. Uh, there, were a lot, there was a lot there that I wanted to, to justify. Um, but I, 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 needed to, I needed to make this right. And so I, I asked him if he would forgive me, and I told him I was sorry. Um, but the Lord wasn't done with me at this point. And this kind of goes back to how forgiveness is not just a, a one-time thing. And over the next several years, it's just one of the events in my life where God would sort of say, look, you haven't even gotten to the bottom of what this is about. And it grieved me. And I began to realize, and this is an important part, we don't have time to talk about this this morning, you know, important part, an important part of forgiveness is really being able to name the sin, right? And be able to name what it's done to somebody. 
you know, when I watch my girls forgive each other, like, they won't even look each other in the eye. It's like, well, I forgive you, you know. <laughs> and hopefully, as we grow, we can actually begin to do the hard work of, of naming those things. And this is what the Lord was doing to me. I, I didn't even name this yet. I just wanted to get over it. And it stuck with me, and it stuck with me to the point where um, a few years ago, I, I, I just, I sent him a letter. And I said, I said, listen, here's how I harmed you. And it was worse than that because the way that he needed to be forgiven, I couldn't do it anymore. He needed to be forgiven publicly, and I couldn't do it anymore. And that now I was stuck in this place where, okay, so here I've come to this realization of what it looks like to forgive others and, and to name that, but I can't even do it anymore. What's he going to do? And here was, here was his response. He wrote back, and he said, Ryan, thank you so much for your thoughtful and apologetic email. It sounds like God's at work in your heart in some profound ways, and as your brother, I'm grateful for that. To be honest, what happened six years ago was disheartening, and I was hurt by it. I needed to hear that. However, I want to assure you that after talking with you a few months after that, I considered the whole episode resolved. And here's the, here's the sentence. And I want you to know that you've been in possession of my forgiveness ever since. And I'm not going to lie, I wept like a baby in my office reading that. For several reasons. One, right, there, our relationship has been restored, or, or maybe it was restored, and I just didn't know about it. But what, what was happening as I read those words, too, was, was to read that I was in possession as a sinner of his forgiveness, which is a mere reflection of the reality of the forgiveness that God has given us, is it not? That his forgiveness is constant, which means that we are always in possession of it. Even when we think there are things that we need to be doing to make the situation right. That's how good he is. And that's what it means for God's forgiveness uh, to, to be constant. And then for us, as we begin to forgive others, to reflect that very mercy means that our forgiveness too is constant. It is unchanging. It is unconditional. It is something that once it is given, it is always in the possession of the debtor. Why is this important? Well, as we've said, it's important because this is how God forgives you. So we reflect that. But there's something else behind forgiveness that we need to take note of, and that is constant, unchanging forgiveness is what changes us constantly. That's fine. I came up with that. <laughs> Let me say it again, though. Constant, unchanging forgiveness is what changes us constantly. First, your hope of change is 100% dependent upon the forgiveness that Jesus has given you and the forgiveness that Jesus has given me. That's what Christians believe. Right? It is 100% based on the idea that God's forgiveness for us is constant, that it's unchanging, that you have it. If there is no forgiveness from God, you have no hope of change. I don't think we would disagree with that. It, because it is through that forgiveness, and this is why this is important, and your growing knowledge of it, that you are becoming a new creation. Now, here's the hard part. The same is true for those whom you forgive. Your forgiveness works in the lives of others as a reflection of God's mercy, which changes that person. For us to pull it away or to make it conditional would be to misrepresent a truth about who God is and what his forgiveness is like. Now, we are not perfect. We all know that. 
Therefore, our forgiveness of others will not be perfect as well. But the point remains, forgiveness is the ability to wish for another's healing. To, 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 ma- excuse me, to wish for another's healing no matter the cost to yourself. And this is why Christians ultimately are willing to absorb the cost because as those who have tasted and received restoration from their heavenly Father, we begin to desire the restoration of others above ourselves because that is what Jesus did for you. Dan Allener again tells of the story in his book, The Wounded Heart, of a client who came to see him who had been abused by her father growing up. And in her anger which is completely understandable. She said, I'd rather be dead than restored to him. And then as the book reads, Allender asked her uh, this question. He said, what would you choose if God gave you a choice of two buttons? Which would you choose? The first button on the left would, would be a button that as soon as you pushed it, uh, your father would just, you know, burst in flames and be just no more. God would, would just pour out his wrath on him. And he would cease to exist. That's the first button on the left. On the right, though, the second button that you could press, this is the button where God would totally restore him to be the man, father, and husband that God designed him to be. It's a tough spot. Eleanor says she sat there for a long time in silence and in tears thinking about what she would do. And then Eleanor says this, that she wept with longing for a father, but not her father. And he told her, he said, your father is wicked, perverse, vile, and worthy of condemnation. I did not ask if you wanted to be restored to who he is today. But to a man who is broken and contrite, a father who could weep over the harm done to you and to the Lord, which button would you choose? Friends, as we peer deeper into the cross, we see that the engine behind Christ's forgiveness was indeed the restoration of his enemies. That's you and me. But this is only possible if his forgiveness is constant, if it's unconditional. Think of what it means to be in possession of his forgiveness for eternity and how that is changing you this very day if you let it. The same is true for others as we reflect the mercy of God when our forgiveness is constant as well, that that is its true aim. This doesn't mean this is easy. As a matter of fact, I don't think this should be easy. In many ways, there's there's a paradox here. This just seems upside down, which is why it's a way of the kingdom. So it should be in one sense. But this is what this means. So, So far, we've seen how we reflect God's mercy when forgiveness is costly, but also when our forgiveness is constant. Lastly, we reflect his mercy when forgiveness is consistent. And what I mean by that, for our forgiveness to be consistent, this means we cannot offer our forgiveness to one group over here and then withhold it from another group over here. It is to say that our forgiveness is not partial. In this way, we show partiality and become like the world when we do withhold our forgiveness from one group while giving it to others. At first, we might have certain family members who, who possess our forgiveness while others do not. Maybe for some, without realizing it, we've gotten into the business of ranking our sins. And so for us, and this is not what the Bible says, but for us, we've gotten into the business of saying, well, there are certain sins that are just unforgivable. 
There are certain sins that if you, you know, if you're under this bar, I'll forgive you. But if you start doing some of these, I'm sorry, I'm out of here. And so to us, to sin in these ways up to this point, we will not forgive. In this way, though, our forgiveness is not reflective of the consistent nature of God's forgiveness, is it? This is where we can also find ourselves shaped by our culture more than we'd like to admit it today. Today, some might say our culture is polarized. It is left versus right. It is conservative versus liberal. It is Republican and Democratic and all that. All those value systems that go along with that. And the challenge for the church is falling into that mindset with its own forgiveness. That those who can receive it must belong on this side of the aisle, as it were. And while Christianity doesn't fall into one particular political party, the danger is we might as believers. And without noticing it, our forgiveness and our compassion and our mercy towards others becomes what? Inconsistent. We show partiality to those who think like us, who look like us, who view life similarly. What the prayer does then, though, is simply ask, is this how God has forgiven you? For many of us, and myself included, that can be a hard pill to swallow. But thank the Lord for that pill. Was he partial to those who thought like him? Who looked like him? Who wanted the things that he wanted? If he was, none of us would share in his salvation. Instead, his forgiveness was what? Consistent. He offered it to all who were sick, who were in need, who were debtors with a debt they could never repay. For the church to be the church, its forgiveness must be consistent, not partial, which means that forgiveness for Christians is not an option. It's not an option, which is really what the prayer is saying. Matthew 6, 14 to 5, though, has this really interesting phrase after the praise, which it sounds like God's forgiveness is conditional. I will forgive you if you forgive others. And it's one of the texts that every single commentary brings up and talks about. And every single commentary has the same sort of message about it. This cannot be, it cannot be a condition put upon God's salvation. What is he getting at here? What everybody tends to to, to agree with is that what, what he is saying is that in the same way that God has freely forgiven us, for us not to forgive others is for us to not understand and reflect the forgiveness we've been given. In other words, it's, for, it's not for that grace to have gotten into our hearts. And this is where we get to see if we truly understand the gospel, right? Because at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of gospel understanding, as one pastor writes, is that we become what? Givers. There's a parable in Matthew 18 there of two debtors that gets at this. And, and the first debtor uh, it, it comes to the king before the king, and this guy owes the king 10,000 talents. And if you're looking at your Bible, you know there's a little footnote down there that tells you what a talent is worth, and a talent is worth 20 years' wages. So if you get out your, your phone and you do the math real quick, he owes him 200,000 years' wages. You're not going to get that back. And so if you go through the parable and you read it, he, the, the, the debtor begins to fall on his knees. He actually says, I'll repay it. Just give me, a, give, give me a chance. And the king has mercy on him, doesn't he? The king forgives his debts. But then as that same servant goes out, he comes across a second debtor, one that owes him. Not 10,000 talents, but, ten, but 100 denarii. And he won't forgive him his debt 
as we read. It's like he has no memory of what has just happened to him in the scene before. Instead, he throws the second debtor in jail. Now, one denarius is equal to one day's wage. And so this guy owes 100 days' wages. That's still a lot. But the point of the parable is the disparity between the debts, is it not? How can the first debtor who owed 200,000 years of wages, who was forgiven, not forgive the man who owes 100 days worth of wages? See, his forgiveness is not consistent. Either he has forgot what he was really forgiven, which can happen, or he never considered his debt to be that serious in the first place, so forgiveness never what? Really flowed into his life. That's what Jesus is getting at. God's forgiveness is not conditional on whether we forgive. Our forgiveness, however, is reflective of whether we've truly understood our debt, what we've been forgiven, and what it costs. Or else we are just this first debtor going around, right, very thankful for what one person has done for us, but never showing it to others. And in that way, you have not really been forgiven, have you? If it is not flowing out of you, it has not flown into you, is his point. So we should stop and we should reflect on what it means and what the cost was for us to be truly forgiven, that our debt mattered. And all of this is why the heart, the heart of the gospel, the heart of gospel understanding for the Christian, as that pastor said, is that we become givers, givers of mercy, givers of grace. That's what offering forgiveness is no matter what the cost, which means we never lose sight of what we have already been forgiven in Jesus. We grow in the knowledge of it daily, which makes us givers, thus reflecting the mercy of God to those we forgive. But our forgiveness must be consistent to do that and not partial, which means there are no unforgivable sins anymore for the Christian. And for those that struggle with believing that, we must look back to the cross that says that that is true. Friends, the cross says to you and to me, there are no unforgivable sins. And we are to reflect that mercy in our own forgiveness of others. So we've seen that as we pray, as we forgive our debtors, We reflect God's mercy, and we reflect it when that forgiveness is costly. We reflect it when that forgiveness is constant or unconditional. And we we reflect it when that forgiveness is consistent and not partial. And why? Why does it reflect that? Because that is how God has forgiven you. And perhaps the best place that we could leave this morning is sitting underneath that grace, receiving it again, seeing it again for what it is, that this is really how God has forgiven you. I hope that never, I hope you never get tired of hearing that. And to show that then to someone is to reflect what is most powerful and beautiful, which is God's love for sinners. Some of you might be familiar with uh, Gary Ridgway, the Green River killer who murdered, um, or at least went, went to trial for killing upwards to 50 women that we know of in the 80s and 90s. Uh, the Green River murders are truly one of the worst uh, of, of serial killer murders in our history. Um, but once they caught Gary Ridgway, he went to trial. And, and in our, our, our form of justice, when there's a plea of guilty, there's a moment there 
uh, there's, a, there's a time, I should say, where the victims of, of, of that guilty party get to come before their accuser, or get to come before the victimizer, and, and they get to say whatever they want to say. Um, you've seen this in, in, in trials before, I'm sure. And so, um, and I'm going to say this too. Uh, I would encourage, you can go look, get online and look at this, and I would encourage you to do that at some point uh, when you go home. And so you can imagine um, that morning uh, when the courthouse opened, there were hundreds of people there. And they were there because they were family, right, of people that this monster had murdered. And so one by one, they get up, and they, and they share the same story over and over. Here was my daughter. Here's who she was. She loved life, and you took her from me. And most of these, most of these words to Gary ended with something like, I hope you burn in hell. And as any human being, kind of, yeah, yeah. What made this trial so unique was there was, another, was there was this one man who did get up after all these people had gotten up. And, and as he goes and he starts to tell Gary why he's here, why, how, you know, what he has done to him as a father who lost his daughter to this man 20 years ago, the pain that that's caused him, who this woman was, and all the things that, that have been taken from him now. You're waiting for him to say, I hope you burn in hell. But Nobody was prepared for what he said that day, not even Gary himself, because he turns to the man and he says, look, in spite of all that you have taken from me, I want you to know that I forgive you. He even prefaces his forgiveness with saying, I'm positive that there are people in this courtroom right now that are going to hate me for saying this, but I forgive you. And what made the court scene so unique that morning was that the entire time Gary Woodway, he just stood there stonewalled. It's like a monster. He didn't care at all. After all these family members got up, told him what, what he had done, how they had made them feel, how they had ruined their, their life, he just stood there until this one man gets up, tells him, I forgive you, and immediately Gary Ridgway breaks down. And it's all on tape. Now look, I'm not saying, any, saying this and saying anything about Gary Ridgway. It's hard at this point and what I'm about to say after this, whether he's in heaven or not, I'm not interested in that at this point. It's not what I'm, what I'm talking about this. What I'm interested in is why did Gary Ridgway finally break down? What did he hear? What did he see? I'll tell you what I think he saw. I think Gary saw something beautiful. I think he saw something glorious. Whether he understood where, what it was or where it came from, I don't know. That's not the point. But what he saw in the words, I forgive you, is what is behind every single act of forgiveness that we could offer, and that is the blood of Jesus, who has come to forgive sinners. And like the broken words of a father who had lost so much, the weight of those words, I forgive you, broke him. Such is the case, friends, of our Heavenly Father this morning. Who lost so much that we might break under the power and beauty of the words, you are forgiven, that we would know the power of his forgiveness and the love that he has for us. And in that way, as that begins to come into our lives, what flows out is a reflection of the very mercy that we have received 
in the words, I forgive you. May that love, as it flows into our lives, transform us into givers, friends, givers of mercy and grace, givers of the very mercy that we have received from Jesus as we forgive our debtors. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you have given us a tall order here, and I'm not beginning to act as if uh, this is just something we walk right out of this room doing with no questions asked. We need your spirit. We need your grace. We need it constantly to continue to understand and to fathom the cost at which you took upon yourself to forgive us, to understand how serious our sin is so that we can begin to even consider forgiving others. And we want to do that not so that relationships are restored, although that is wonderful, not just so that we feel good about ourselves, but because actually through it and in it, we reflect something of yourself, your character, your mercy. And would that, would that take the prize for us as we gather the courage in some situations to begin to face those who have harmed us? We ask that you go with us with that. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.